Welcome to another episode of the Hat Collecting Talk Show, where we talk about the many different metaphorical hats that people wear in our lives, because no one does just one thing and everyone has a story. And on the show, we like to share those stories. Uh, I am your host, Lacey Artemis, a creative Jill of all trades, and I'm joined today by Laura D., who is a an HR professional, a comedian, and a bright gothy queer, among other things. Uh, she keeps uh, things in order during the day and delivers pretty consistent zingers on social media, if I do say so. And you can typically typically find her at queer dance parties, living her best life. For the listeners, Laura's pronouns are she and her. Thank you for being on the show, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so the first question that I start out with on the show these days is, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Brockville, Ontario, the city of the Thousand Islands. Um, it is sort of between Kingston and Ottawa. So those were the cities that we would go to if we needed to go shopping at a good mall. Uh, it's about 21,000 people. Uh, for its size, it's like quite artsy, quite queer friendly. But the other day I told someone, you know, I had to learn a lot when I left there because the city I grew up in was 90% white. Uh, I looked it up the other day and based on their last sentences, I was wrong. It's 95% white. So uh, a lot of great experiences growing up but I'm very happy to have gotten out of there and broadened my perspective because just the amount of life experiences and perspectives that I just had no idea of living there is vast. And I'm, you know, always, always still learning. But a uh, very cute town, very nice to drive through. Do recommend a lot of cute waterfront stuff. Uh, hmm. yeah. um, I'm going to take a stab at this one, although it might be a bit tricky to answer. Um, I usually ask about sort of like true and false stereotypes or misconceptions about kind of where people are from. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that in regards to Brockville. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I, I talk about it like it's kind of a, a hick town, but it's it's not really ish. Like there are surrounding villages for whom Brockville is the city, like it's downtown, which is really four blocks of stores and a pizza pizza that's going downtown. Um, I, I don't think it would be a stereotype because who would think to stereotype it like this, but can I tell you about the city's attempt at a claim to fame that they had a few years ago? Sure. So they decided that they were going to get in the Guinness Book of World Records for creating the world's largest omelet. Now the, the Guinness Book definition of omelet is like very specific. It needs to be cooked. It needs to be edible. It needs to contain not just egg, but vegetables. So they took the local arena, built a reflector oven. There's an egg farm locally. It's actually in Lynn, Ontario. They got all these eggs from and it's supposed to be this whole thing. Everybody come out, watch the omelet get cooked. Around noontime, it's going to be ready. We're going to set the record. Everyone can have some omelet. Great time. Well, it was not ready around noon. Uh, the, the oven was a bit more challenging than they thought. Uh, so by the time they actually got it cooked, it uh, almost nobody was there. So then they're frantically trying to see, like, are there soup kitchens that want omelet? Can we, you know, is there a farm that would feed this to their pigs or something? And no. So when I just picture the logistics of trash bags full of just omelet, uh, not the best claim to fame, but that's now the first thing I think of when I think of my hometown. Actually, Brockville has Canada's oldest railway tunnel, which they've recently refurbished, and it's beautiful. They put trippy lights in it. It's a very nice little walk. But I just think about the omelet. They did have the record, but have since lost it. 
So it's not on the sign now entering Brockville, city of the world's largest almost. No, they're they're hyping the railway tunnel again. No. Well, they've got to have something, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it firsthand, and I I kick myself for not going home that weekend. I could have been part of history. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, so I'm going to take this moment to do our land acknowledgement. Uh, we are both in Toronto. Uh, Toronto or Takaronto is located on the traditional unceded territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations, the Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Anishinaabe. This is a dish with one spoon ter- treaty territory and we are uninvited visitors on this land. So yeah, in the intro, I mentioned a few of the things that you do, and I'm sure there's more things that uh, that will come up throughout the show, as usually happens. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the things you do and how you got into them? Sure. Uh, so currently, I work in human resources by day. Um, I've been doing stand-up comedy for about as long, but less consistently, let's say. Before all of that, I, I got a music degree. So when I first left home, I went to university. I went to Western. I got a music degree, uh, kind of coming out of a, a big fish, small pond situation and then getting to university and realizing like, oh, like I'm okay at singing, but I'm not that great. This is not, <laughs> I can't make a living doing this. But I did enjoy studying pop history, writing opinionated essays about music. That was all up my alley. And I still use those skills to some extent. So after working at a pretty terrible call center for a couple of years, I realized I better go back to school. So I moved to Toronto uh, in, what year was it? 2010, 2009, late 2009, to go back to school to take a post-grad HR certificate and have more or less consistently worked in the field since then and started doing stand-up about 10 years ago as well. I had a period of time where I was kind of really hustling on that and doing a lot of shows uh, backed off from it for a few reasons and was just starting to get a taste for it again when the pandemic hit. So that's been much harder on, you know, a lot of my comedy peers who were continuing to do it a lot for me. It's just, uh, you know, delayed my comeback. Um, I do the odd Zoom show and things like that. But those are sort of my my big two things. Uh, and then in my other own time, I like all the big, weird, queer, gothy, sparkly parties and those sorts of activities. So yeah, the uh, the sort of follow-up question to that question, um, I guess we can focus on the HR and the comedy. Um, what would you say are the biggest misconceptions of each of those? <laughs> um, let's see. For HR, there's very much a conception of they're not on your side at all. And I, I get that. I get why people feel that way. I've been on that side of the table myself. Um, One of the reasons I got into it was because I wanted to do better. And I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, I have to also take directives from the company I'm working for, but I I really do try to push for, um, you know, the employee side, giving them more than the minimum, taking individual circumstances into consideration rather than you know, just writing really strict policies with no flexibility to them. Um, I, I really like to operate in a, in a good faith environment, which is sort of like, okay, we're giving you the resources you need, the, you know, some basic structures and mutual expectations for how work's going to be done. But I don't like an environment where everything is super, super policy driven and you must do this. And if you deviate, then there's consequences. That's a very old school way of thinking. Uh, and then for comedy, 
misconceptions that I've encountered are probably one that you um, make it all up every time, which that's improv, which is a different thing from standup. Uh, another one <laughs> would be the number of times I've had people say, oh, so is that what you're doing for a living now? And uh, almost nobody's doing that for a living in Canada. The, there's not the support for the arts there. Um, and then also just when, when people think that they'll, uh, <laughs> that any old anecdote is something that you could put. So my mom's husband was telling me about a, a doctor's visit he had. It was very much an anecdote clearly about a doctor's visit for a man in his 60s. So I was like, you can use that at one of your skits if you want. I don't think that's going to be relatable coming out of my mouth, but thank you. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And that's, I guess, one of the kind of big challenges of comedy is that like every audience, you never really know what you're getting. So, I mean, maybe more so kind of here in Toronto, you'd have a better idea. But if you're touring across the country, you'd definitely be getting different audiences and yeah. uh, things are going to land differently with different people for sure. Yeah. And I, I have only minimally performed outside of Toronto and honestly have preferred mostly queer rooms, sex positive rooms, those sorts of shows and I guess that's one more kind of misconception even from within the community is that if you're doing shows like that it's because you as a performer need a, a safe space and yeah to an extent it's nice to know okay if I do the show there's not going to be some homophobe in the crowd or something but it's also so rewarding to be able to tell very niche jokes to a crowd and get them and have them get them and have them feel seen and appreciate it. So it's not even about a safe space at that point. It's about a, an underserved market and giving them the content they want. And it's really exciting to be a part of that. There's been some great, great queer comedy in Toronto explode over the last few years. Yeah, I was just going to say, I remember... Um... Uh, certainly up until, I think up until the pandemic, there was, uh, I forget the name of the venue, but it's sort of downtown West End kind of. And they had a weekly um, like open mic thing where you, mm -hmm. like anyone could come and you could sign up and just go up and try stand-up comedy. And I went to a show once and I and I kind of liked it. I was like, I've, I've done improv. I like improv. I actually yeah. do want to try stand-up comedy at least once. So if I can find something that like that again after the pandemic, I'd love to give it a shot. Yeah, and I, I used to host a show at The Steady, RIP The Steady, uh, which was great. And it wasn't, um, you know, sort of officially, I only bo booked um, women and or queer comics. But occasionally I would let like a cishet guy on if I knew him personally and knew that he understood the room it was. So I would have friends drop by and do sets and they would do great but because they understood the space. There's people that uh, like to play that whole, well, how is it inclusive if I can't do your show thing? Like, well, uh, cause you're not gonna do well in this room cause you're not gonna care about who the audience is. Yeah, for sure. Um, and thank you for, for sharing those insights. <laughs> Um, so the next question on the list here, um, when you were a child, do you remember what you wanted to be or to do when you grew up? Oh, I think I just wanted attention. I wanted to be famous in some way. Uh, I don't rem really remember having particular jobs that, that I wanted. I mean, there's a, a baby book I have where I think when I was three or four, I said I wanted to be a candy storekeeper, which understandable, uh, still big into candy, but, uh, I think that's actually something that led me to this not especially useful music degree was that even by the end of 
uh, high school, I still sort of didn't see where I was going and sort of like, well, I like music. I do a lot of singing stuff. I guess I'll go for music. And if I hadn't gone for music, I probably would have gone for English. Uh, but I knew I didn't want to teach. So like, I really did not have a clear path at that point at all. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, it's been a mix of answers on this question. Some people have, have known very clearly and other people have been yeah. like, and, and that's kind of like, that's the beauty of a lot of these questions that I, I love that I'm asking them because, you know, the, the answers can vary and they can be similar and just never quite know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, like I remember the person who in grade five, I'm going to be a marine biologist and they grew up and they're a marine biologist. But I just, yeah, it was never that clear for me. I, I kind of had to back into my current career based on having some negative HR experiences. And I'd worked a few kind of summer student positions at a couple different not-for-profits, just doing whatever sort of office support, some planning type things that they needed. And I thought, well, I'd like to work somewhere where I care about what they're doing. How can I weasel my way into those situations? I'm not great at sales. I can't come in on as a fundraiser. So how can I make myself useful to any sort of company? So that's kind of what led me to HR as well was just figuring out how to get my foot in the door at multiple uh, types of organizations or different industries. Yeah, it's a bit of a similar thing. Like I also work in administration mm -hmm. and it was kind of a similar idea. It's like recession proof. Every company needs, you know, accountants, bookkeepers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. HR, maybe not in every case, but definitely a lot. So mm -hmm. um, they're very safe jobs, but uh, I don't know how you feel about your, your actual job in a grander sense. I know mine's not the most fulfilling, but I mean, there could be a lot worse I could be doing. <laughs> it really depends on, on the organization to me. Uh, I, so I've worked uh, at a, my, my first real HR job was at a huge global company, which was great because I got all kinds of exposure. I was there for a few years. I got to try on different roles, really grew as a person, but I did not feel very personally connected to what they were doing. Uh, I've had contracts at a few other different types of places just to try it out. Realized I like to work somewhere that's a bit smaller. So where I am now, it's a a growing company so even just in the couple of years i've been there there's been a lot of growth but to still know who everybody is have a direct hand in some changes and plans that are happening and really feel connected to the work and the work that they do is you know actually really valuable work to people so that's really motivating to me but other places it's absolutely just going in and staring at excel for eight hours and going home and not really feeling very very uh connected to it, not really feeling any intrinsic value. So I'm glad that I've been able to end up somewhere where the company itself uh, motivates me and not just the, the paycheck. But I'm you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the uh, next question here, um, I guess this one now, kind of hearing a bit more of your background. Um, so I, I've been asking the guests, like, because there's this cultural narrative about kind of being at the age, by the age of 30, we're supposed to have our lives figured out. And obviously, that's not the case for, for so many people. Um, and like, I don't actually know your exact age. But like, what I what I what I've been asking now is as a kind of way around that is just, um, if you feel like you're on a path that you're happy following and you want to follow for a while, what age were you when you kind of first found that path? Uh, I, so I definitely did not have it figured out by 30. I had I had gone back to school, started doing stand-up, started doing the HR arc. So I was headed in the direction that I wanted to be. But in terms of feeling really secure 
in myself and um, how I want to exist in the world, how I want, you know, what types of people I want to be around, um, how to ask for what I want, um, all of those things. It's only been super recent. So I'm 38. I don't usually publicly say that, but for you, Lacey, I will admit my actual age for context, I guess. Uh, it's been super recent. Um, I was just speaking about this with someone else earlier today. Just there's this fake narrative, especially for women, that we're you know we're kind of old news after our 20s, and that couldn't be farther from the truth for me. Um, I've never been happier than I am now, and I still don't have 100% of what's next figured out. But I feel okay with this because I just feel pretty secure. In expressing myself i mean there's a lot of privileges that allow me to do that as well which i'm you know very grateful for and trying to leverage for good as well but yeah absolutely by the time i was 30 i was just scratching the surface of what i wanted my life to look like and i'm still figuring out but i'm pretty happy yeah that makes sense i, I almost want to say like when i had sherry de novo on the show uh, she said that she felt that her, her 40s and generally people's 40s is like kind of the 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 best decade that you'll have in your life i'm excited like, <laughs> i know i was like oh good i have a few years yet before i even get there mm-hmm. <laughs> so i got lots of lots of runway to, to build up my speed <laughs> exactly that's a great way to look at it well i remember so my my best friend uh, is four days apart from me. So we always celebrate our birthdays together. And I remember shortly before our 28th birthday, and when you're in your 20s, you're meant to think that that's incredibly old, but it's nothing. Like your brain has barely finished cooking when you're 28. Uh, you know, we're a few drinks in, it's our birthday. We're like, oh, we're 28. We might as well just call it and say that we're 30 now. No, you know what? Never mind. We're 50. I'm 50 right now. I'm 50. So sometimes over the years, we've reminded each other, like, you're already 50. So just just go with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Um, so again, this next question, it uh, feels like it might be a little bit of a different answer, but uh, I've, I've been asked, sorry, I just sometimes like kind of the, the guests kind of inadvertently semi answers some of the future questions in earlier uh, questions, which is not a bad thing. It just, um, it kind of, sometimes it gives me the, the like, per, or the, the vantage to kind of maybe tweak the questions or ask them a little bit differently. But sure. what I, what I've been asking essentially is, uh, like, what would you say was one of the biggest obstacles for you, uh, to kind of finding that path and kind of figuring, feeling like it was the right path? Um, I think a big obstacle for me was just letting go of what I thought I was supposed to be doing at certain ages. So I was very much on a path that I thought I was supposed to be um, living with somebody, trying to get nicer furniture, you know, just kind of buckling down, dressing conservatively. There's a bunch of stuff that I hadn't ever done because I, you know, was too shy or scared to try it out and just telling myself, well, it's too late for purple hair, even stuff like that. Um, Just there was a trajectory that I thought I was supposed to be on as a young professional. And in a lot of ways, I have, according to societal expectations, regressed, but it's given me the space to be a much happier person. So another cultural narrative that I've been pushing back against on this show is this idea that we're once we like grow up and we're adults, we're not supposed to goof around, be silly and play unless it's with children. 
And I know that's that's nonsense. So I wanted to ask you, what is the or one of the last uh, silly or playful things you did on purpose that didn't have anything to do with kids? Oh my gosh! And when I read, you sent me this question, and I read it, and I thought of something, and now it's blown out of my head. Um, it's probably just things like still playing with ridiculous outfits. I, you know, make up songs about things. I, I'll go for the you know most obvious bathroom humor on something from time to time that would never be you know an on-stage joke but you know at home sing to the cat make up fake stories about it just try to do a little of that stuff every day keep it light um i spent in the early days of the pandemic when it really wasn't clear what and what was not safe to be doing and we weren't sure if we could go to parks just uh hanging out on my tiny front yard which is not something that adults usually do like sit on their front lawn uh but I decided to reclaim that. I mean, to have access to that front yard at all, um, I was very fortunate to have. And so then to not hang out and listen to music on your front yard, I think is a bourgeois convention. So I decided to play in my front yard like a kid uh, in the early days of the pandemic when uh, we still thought that you would die if you went to the park. So that was, and that made my days much better <laughs> during that time. I mean, it makes mm -hmm. sense. Certainly, if I if I had a front yard, I certainly would have yeah, frolicked it's in like it. A, it's like a postage stamp, but I still I still hung out there. It was great. Very cool. Um, and sort of a bit on the flip side of that idea, I like to talk about self care because this is another idea. Like I think when people think of self care, a lot of people think of stuff like you know going to the spa and getting completely pampered. Mm -hmm. And but self care can be very very small acts, very simple things. And so I'd like to ask, what was the last act of self-care that you did for yourself, no matter how small it was? Uh, I finally purchased some skincare the other day. Uh, I, I realized that maybe just letting shower water hit my face is not sufficient. So I got some serums and stuff. They feel pretty nice. Uh, one of the things, uh, since I've been working from home pretty consistently since mid-March, um, is that I realized I needed to kind of have a line of demarcation between end of work day and start of my time. So I wouldn't say that I've actually learned any amount of language that I could use to have real conversations with, but I try to do Duolingo at the end of my work day to kind of transition my brain from staring at computer for work reasons to staring at computer for fun reasons. And I, that has kind of helped shift the work day for me so that I'm not continuing to check emails and stuff all night. Um, what else? Oh, and I get, I started getting a produce box delivery. So, you know, I know what's coming. I plan my meals. I know I'm going to have vegetables in the house. Those are all things that I found have kept me feeling a little bit healthier than when I wasn't doing them. Very cool. Yeah. I like, I like those answers. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that actually. Like when you said sort of transitioning your brain from like staring at a screen for work to staring a screen mm -hmm. for fun is like, yeah, I'm working from home too. I have been since March and like virtually all of my hobbies are computer based. So mm -hmm. I also tend to be staring at screens for most of the day. And I, I know that it's not good for me and that it gives me like headaches and stuff. And, and I just, I, I haven't found a way to like have a healthy balance quite yet, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm getting a little bit better. <laughs> um, so yeah, the next question here, um, this might be a fun one to kind of play with. Um, I'd like to ask the guests, uh, what was the last new thing that you learned, whether it was a, a skill or like a piece of information and what is something you would still like to learn, whether it's a skill or information? 
the last new thing I learned that springs to mind is just a factoid that I haven't chased down on Wikipedia yet. Have you seen this uh, kind of tumblery meme going around that talks about Uncanny Valley and then it goes on to explain like the nine types of hominids that Homo sapiens somehow emerged triumphant from? It sounds, I know, I know about the Uncanny Valley thing. I have heard about the like different types of hominids, but I'm not sure if I'm thinking of the same thing. Yeah, so I have not, I have not done the research, but I've seen this come up in various feeds a couple of times. So I need to remember to look it up. So it's, the initial part is just joking around. Like there's a reason they make cartoons look weird because if they look too close to humans, but not quite, that makes us feel uncomfortable. And then saying, like, why would we have that? in us biologically to, you know, mistrust something that looks like me, but not quite. And then goes on to, you know, when we started to be bipedal, that there was actually nine types of human type uh, creatures at the time, but Homo sapiens won. And uh, so I want to read up on this more because I, I don't actually know um, what happened at that point in human evolution, but I would like to. So uh, I'm going to do some reading on that. Uh, I can update you. Um, what would I like to learn other than uh, more about the caveman wars? Um, like I said, I've been doing Duolingo in Spanish. It would be cool if I actually got functional in it, but uh, it's been fun regardless. Um, what else do I want to learn? I, I would probably like to get better at Sewing because I keep wrecking my clothes and fixing them myself would be a really good skill. Plus, uh, altering things to fit me uh, would be a really useful skill as well, rather than just having a closet half full of stuff that isn't quite right. I actually would also like to learn how to like sew and mend clothing. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently, the, the person I recently started dating, um, she apparently does know how to do that stuff a little bit better. So um, once we kind of get through the, the whole holiday thing and have a bit more time, something we'll probably try to sit down and do a little bit of work on. But nice. yeah. yeah, that's a good skill share. There was years ago, um, someone in the comedy community started a little uh, kind of stitch and chat workshop session so you could it was it was all comics it wasn't a show and it wasn't meant, even meant to be like a writing room but people did bounce ideas around but it was mostly just a come bring your stuff that needs fixing if you don't know how to fix it someone will help you and and that was really nice so i thought of that now because there's somehow a huge hole in the back of this shirt i it came out of the closet that way i don't know what happened but i really like this shirt so i want to figure out how to fix it nicely so that I could still wear it into the office if I needed to. It's right now it's only fine for video calls. This part is untainted. I, I just wanted to say, I really love that idea of like uh, kind of arts communities kind of coming together in that sort of way. Like we're all here because of one thing, but let's all help each other with something else while yeah. we're all together. It's, it I was love a really that. lovely space, yeah. yeah. That's very cool. Um, and that sort of reminds me of uh, something more recently since COVID happened, basically, I've seen like these kind of like either care mongering or mutual aid networks and things like that. And I think these are great ideas and I hope that they kind of keep going and, and kind of uh, proliferate um, mm -hmm. in the future. Um, yeah, so the next question here, um, I'd like to ask, because uh, we're sort of talking about these metaphorical hats and talking about the different things that you have learned, things that you want to learn. Um, and I like to ask, uh, kind of in your best estimation, whatever kind of comes to mind first, what would you say are your two, two most dissimilar hats and hats being either skills or interests? Uh, probably HR and my entire social life. 
uh, uh, some of the the queer parties get get pretty sexy, get pretty weird. Um, I personally think that being a person who has actually experienced some of the extreme aspects of life only can make me a more compassionate person and more approachable like if somebody's coming to me because sometimes people come to me at work with like some pretty unusual situations and I'm pretty unflappable at this point I think if I was super conservative in my personal life then I would like have my own personal struggles if somebody came to me with something weird or or extreme at work but uh yeah I've been through a lot uh on my own and so I'm very non-judgmental and I try to, you know, create a space where uh, I'm able to support people and accommodate people and uh, not get caught up in the like, I can't believe that this is happening to them rather than just the, okay, well, then how can I help you? I, I, I'm kind of curious. So I'm just going to ask, um, have you ever had uh, any of your like the, the kind of, I don't know if oversee is the right word, but the people that you kind of help through your job, like your actual workplace, have, have any of them ever come to you and be like, Laura, you're the coolest HR person I've ever had or something like that? I mean, since you've asked me, yes, that has happened uh, very rarely. But <laughs> I mean, I, I, I keep pretty quiet at work about, you know, about my personal life. Um, because it's, for me in my own role, I think it's important to have that separation. But um you know, as people get to get to know me, they'll they'll find out more and more. And even just like how I look when I started my career, I, I mentioned like I dressed very conservatively. Um, but over time, I decided I'm not really interested in working somewhere that would only have me, you know, wearing brown suits with my hair tied back. So uh, if a place doesn't want me to work there with purple hair, I don't really want to work there. And again, that's, I've managed to work my way up to a position where I can make that choice. And that's a huge deal. I've worked places where I had to hide it for sure. Um, so the biggest collision of, of my work and personal life, uh, definitely had to be, uh, the time that I was at Hanlon's completely undressed, walking into the water and I hear behind me, someone yell, Hey, HR. And so when I recovered from my heart attack, uh, I turned around and it was like, the one cool LGBTQ person from my office, like one of the few people I've actually made a continued friendship with from, from a previous job. But uh, yeah, that was, that was a terrifying moment for me. But, uh, but that person thinks I'm cool HR. Actually, they just call me queer HR all the time. <laughs> QHR for short. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's very cute. And like, I wasn't, I wasn't actually trying to set you up with that question. I was genuinely curious, but <laughs> that was a fun story. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, the next question here, uh, as we've already kind of both said that we have been working from home, uh, I guess we'll sort of reframe this as before the pandemic, um, what was your schedule like? And do you have like a peak time of day normally? A peak time of day for like my productivity or... Um, kind of like that. And also just like when you feel the most like on the most like your best self, I guess. Oh, it's at like one in the morning, which is really impractical with a nine to five. So, um, I mean, my schedule hours wise hasn't changed. I continue to, um, you know, be working business hours during the day. I just don't have to commute any longer. I, a few years ago, I made the shift to starting to go into the office earlier, even though I'm not a morning person, 
just to, uh, because I realized I'm not going to be that much happier if I wake up at nine versus waking up at seven. And if I go in, I can get a quieter time of day when not as many people are at work yet. And I realized I really valued that. And especially during winter, getting out of there before the sun goes down at, you know, 3.17 p.m., um, that was valuable. So I started to work, um, you know, kind of eight to five. But there are days when I hit my stride during that time period, but it still happens routinely. I've been like this since I was a student. Sometimes I have to wait it out. If there's a particular type of project or writing I have to do, I just don't hit my stride until late in the evening. So I've accepted that. And from time to time, if there's a project that I've just been dragging on, not being able to get my head in it during normal work hours, I just pick a night and I stay up and I'm able to get it done. Yeah, see, I think it's good for us to to kind of know that sort of thing about ourselves. And that's part of why I ask it. Cause like I've I mean, this is another kind of cultural narrative that I've heard that I don't agree with, that that night owls are supposedly naturally more creative. And I'm like, that's nonsense. And so I'm just asking a bunch of different people. And like it seems like the majority of people I, I talk to, and this is true of kind of my friends as well, most of them seem to be more nighttime oriented, but I've had a few other morning people on the show. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting to kind of hear, cause like, I know what my experience as a morning person is like, but it's interesting to hear other morning people. Cause I'm so used to hearing from all the night owls being like, curse you nine to fivers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've figured out how to make mornings work for me more effectively, which was, as it turned out, just lean into it, like get up earlier and do the thing. Cause you'll be tired regardless, but you'll get a better piece of the day to work with. But yeah, for certain types of work, I haven't found anything better than that sweet, sweet 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. window to really work through some of that stuff. So I'm kind of curious if you um, were like completely like freelance and you could completely choose your own hours, like what time would you sleep from like like one to nine or something like that? Or what do you think? Probably that's that's about ideal for me. So I have to I have to push it a bit earlier than that. Um, I think if I was really able to set my own hours, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be consistent. I think I could have a consistent schedule kind of week to week, but not necessarily day to day. I'd love to be able to set out, okay, these are the days that I'm working on my projects and these are the hours I'm going to be working on them. These are the days that I meet with people. So I'll be available more during commonly available hours. That's, I think that's how I would structure it if I was given that amount of freedom. Where I work, there is flexibility with hours. Like we have people start anywhere from 8 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Generally, we kind of just have core hours. But if I could be even more flexible and have my one day a week that says, okay, well, on Thursdays, I'm not starting till 1 p.m., but I'm going to be working until well into the evening. That would probably be a day when a lot of my, my project stuff got done, for example. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so the next question here I've been asking, because obviously the pandemic has disrupted everyone's lives to some degree, and I've been I've been focusing on kind of the, the more positive side. Not everyone's had as much of that, but I've been like uh, I've been asking my guests, um, what is a positive or a silver lining that result that came in uh, or resulted in your life uh, specifically from the disruption of the pandemic? Uh, you mentioned earlier sort of the mutual aid caremongering things. It's It's been really lovely to see that spring up on a larger scale. I've considered myself really fortunate to 
kind of be in a community of friends that operate in that spirit often. So, you know, what I mean by that is that if someone speaks up in, in these groups and they need help with something, there's always somebody who steps up to help them. And it's not necessarily someone super close, you know, so I, I've received help from somebody I didn't know that well, but just because of, you know, the in-between people or their desire to help, since we had that, the connection happened to be this group of friends, they stepped up to help me. I've helped other people. Um, I think sometimes mutual aid is misconstrued to mean uh, reciprocal, like directly reciprocal and that's not what I think it should be I think it should be putting it out there when you have it to give and knowing that it will come back to you from somewhere when you need it so seeing that on such a large scale has been really nice um definitely um and then I guess on a more personal level um one of my relationships is one where you know we always liked having a lazy day but we used to go out a lot and do a lot of big fancy things, big outfits, wild nights, and having that completely removed, but still really enjoying each other's company has been has been a nice thing to discover as well. Very nice. Yeah. Um, I think I've mentioned this on a past episode, but like I definitely didn't expect to meet somebody yeah. during the pandemic and just like it happened very unexpectedly and it's been really lovely and we've been having to be careful about how we spend time together, but it's still been very nice and um, kind of just one of one of several um, nice things that's happened for me this year that I'm I'm thankful for. Um, so the next question here, and I sort of preface this with saying you can say as much or as little as you want uh, with this one because it's it can be a little bit more personal. Um, so whatever you're comfortable with sharing, um, but I like to ask the guests uh, if they have dealt with any um, mental health issues or disabilities or just even chronic health is issues in general, and if so, how have they worked through them? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I'm always the first person to be like, oh, yeah, you know, go, go talk to somebody, go get help, go, <laughs> go talk to your doctor, see what's up. Uh, and then I don't ever. So um, there's a lot of things that I tick the boxes for that I have no diagnosis for. Um, and, you know, I think I've, I've been someone uh, dealing with depression since I was a teenager um that's something that um i manage and i think i can just i know when i'm having a bad brain day and i can identify that that's what's happening and you know so usually i'm able to just uh, continue operating from that so again fortunate to have not been uh in a consistently dark place for a very long time um I do things like I, I started using a daily mood tracker over two years ago now. And even that has been helpful to me because you put in your activities for the day and your mood, and then it will spit out reports at you that says like, well, here are the days you were happiest and here's what you did on those days. And just little hacks like that, things like that. Um, the winter sads used to get me quite severely. I, I used to counteract that by scheduling myself aggressively, which is not so much of an option this year. So we'll see. Uh, I guess I'm just, gonna quadruple up on that vitamin d spray and hope for the best i'm not sure um yeah i think there's more i could be doing for my own mental health but um i yeah, i've become a lot more comfortable with at least being aware of what's going on with me most of the time and being able to communicate that to people who need to know it and do the things i need to do to mitigate it to the best of my ability or write it out sometimes you're just writing it out 
Yeah, I was going to say, it seems to be a pretty common thing uh, for myself and for a lot of my friends is that we're much better at like caring about other people's well-being than our own. We often mm -hmm. neglect ourselves. And I, I also like I, re I remembered after I asked the question, but this is another kind of cultural narrative that, that I've come aware of is this idea that, you know, successful people uh, don't have mental health or don't have these kinds of issues. That's why mm -hmm. they're successful, but that's obviously not right either. So um, I like on every episode, I like to touch on this so that the, the viewers and the listeners can, can see like literally everybody has some kind of thing going on and, and um, like you can still make it, you can still find success and happiness and fulfillment um, and some people are still working on that, but they will get there. So, um, and I hope that it helps to kind of break some of the stigma and kind of normalize it a bit more and um, get it into a bit more of a, a positive or just normal light, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so and the things that I'm able to do to kind of help myself through it, um, I definitely don't want that to come off as prescriptive in any way because, you know, I understand that, you know, was I, if I was dealing with, you know, different different situations or different conditions or different brain chemistry than what I personally have, the things that work for me wouldn't necessarily work. So I certainly don't want that to come across as me having said, oh, just get this activity app and you'll feel better. Because no, that obviously would not be a solution for many people's cases. But it's something that for my own current circumstances, it's one of the tools that I find is useful. Yeah, I, I hope that the uh, the kind of the audience uh, figures out it because every episode, obviously, a different person is sharing their experience and what mm -hmm. works for them. And so obviously, that means the show is not saying this always is best for everyone. It's like this yeah. is this person and this is what works for them. Yeah, we're not at her just being like, oh, hon, just try some essential oils. You'll feel better. Like, no. But if smelling them makes you feel nice, then of course. But that's yeah, not, that's not yeah. a cure all. No. Um, so the next question here, and uh, I guess we kind of touched on it a little bit as well, but I like to ask because uh, close relationships are obviously important in our lives and whether or not we're supported and how we're supported and how well we're supported can really influence how long it takes us to kind of get where we're trying to go or our self-confidence or you know things like that. And so I like to ask um, in terms of like the close relationships in your life, however you want to define that. Um, how have they uh, sort of supported your goals or your your kind of uh, trajectory? And um, like, have you have you felt uh, uh, supported even when you maybe have some more off the beaten path kind of um, plans? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I mean, my family relationship—we're not a talk every day family, but uh, even though I've taken a very different path from my siblings, who are both in the medical field. Um, you know, I feel like they, they're happy if I'm happy. Uh, and <laughs> Auntie Laura is a little weird and that's okay. Um, I have uh, my, my best friend, we've known each other since we were 10 years old. Uh, we've only lived in the same city since childhood, like for a couple of years, he was in Toronto with me. Otherwise we've always just been in different cities as adults, but, you know, texting almost daily. We've seen each other on both sides through some pretty, challenging things but just knowing that you know it's very unconditional love and support there and you know the person that I would trust with the worst of me and and have and do um and you know I've got some really wonderful friends I touched on people who I just know are out there looking out for me looking out for each other with no real expectations of what to get in return that's good to know and then I have uh two long-term romantic relationships that uh have been with me uh through some periods of you know 
unemployment, various personal crises, <laughs> uh, and I uh, kind of rode that out with me and, and been there. Um, so that's probably a big part of why I'm happier now than I have been at some earlier points in my life. Things are generally going well, and I've got really good people around me. And I know how to get away from the people who aren't good for me anymore, which was not always the truth when I was a little bit younger. That is so important. And that's something that I've started to try to kind of um, address or bring up on each episode, because a lot of my guests have thankfully had good supportive people around them, but not everyone uh, does know the mm -hmm. signs to kind of look for. Or um, I guess for some people, they can kind of be in denial or they can think, oh, it's not as bad as you say it is. But um, being able to like identify those those negative and toxic and manipulative presences and and kind of, you know, put up that buffer or, you know, perhaps get them completely out of your life is, is very important. Um, so the next question here, um, I like to, I'll, I'll preface this by saying like, um, started out as, you know, failure can be a good thing. Uh, obviously we don't like it when we fail. We don't like it when things don't go the way we want them to, but we can end up learning very important, valuable lessons from that. And so I want to ask, uh, what is kind of a notable example in your life, whatever you're you know, comfortable talking about, what's a not notable example in your life uh, of something that you kind of like a, maybe a, a big, failure or like something really big that didn't go the way that you'd hoped and like what you kind of learned from that and gained from that experience. Hmm. Um, let's see. I mean, there's a couple examples. There's jobs that I, I didn't get that I was upset about at the time, but with even the tiniest bit of hindsight, I know would not have been a fit for me at all. Um, and yeah, also just not getting a job this is me putting my HR hat back on is almost never something that you should be considering a failure. It's just either they changed what they needed uh, and you don't fit it anymore, or someone else was just that much of a better fit than you, but it's, it's not a personal failure. Um, so that's one thing. Um, there was a, uh, when I was talking about, you know, previously thinking I had to be on a particular trajectory as a young adult, um, a relationship that I tried very hard to make work um, and, you know, ultimately had to leave, which was a really difficult decision to make. And I felt very badly about it um, for a long time. Uh, there's this poem uh, by Jack Gilbert called Failing and Flying. And it's about a relationship ending, but it starts, uh, everybody forgets that Icarus also flew. And uh, I really like that. It's a, it's a good piece to look at. So just because something ends, doesn't mean it wasn't worth it. Um, and yeah, things change. You have to move on. Yeah, I really like that. That's a very, um, those are the sorts of like special quotes that come up on the show that I love to make like a little quote graphic about and put up on social media, just these little insights that the guests bring of things that I hadn't heard before. Um, and so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really lovely poem. And it's uh, at that point in my life where I was just like, how can I how can I leave this person? How can I throw this away? Um, you know, I had to leave because I wasn't the same person anymore. And actually that person is, is someone I count as a good friend now. It took a while, but you know, there was that mutual understanding of <laughs> we're not on the same path anymore. I went to their wedding. So there you go. But that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that the good didn't count for anything or that it wasn't worth doing just because it wasn't forever. Almost nothing's forever. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, and so the next question here, and I feel like you're perhaps a little bit more uniquely qualified in terms of the kind of 30-somethings I've had on this show. Uh, maybe I'm making faulty assumptions there, but I like to ask the guests to offer advice. And I kind of break it into three groups. I look at, so um, if you were to give advice, and you can give the same advice to all three, or you can give separate advice if you want to. Um, but what advice would you give to a teenager? What advice would you give to someone who's 30? And what advice would you give to a grandparent? <laughs> uh, to a teenager, that guy in his 20s isn't cool. Don't flirt. Don't let him flirt with you. Don't flirt with him. I mean, flirt with him and then leave. Do not invest any emotional energy in him whatsoever uh, or let him touch you. He's not cool. He's not cool at all. What he's doing is super, super gross. I know the people you go to school with are probably terrible and don't make you feel awesome and desired, but this is not the way. Don't do it. 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 Uh, advice for someone in their 30s? I mean, that's still me, but like to me at, you know, 31 who would have needed this, like it's not too late. There's still time to start something new. You can still change things. You're probably going to live a long time. Uh, it's 2020. We've got great science now. And even if you don't, why spend your remaining time doing something that isn't what you wanted? So absolutely try the new thing. Make a change. It is not too late. It's really not too late. <sighs> and then to a grandparent. Oh, here's I'm gonna get the cat finally. My grandma just got a cat. She's wanted one for so long. Um, she's 89. She just turned 89. And she's been living alone for 20 years. My grandfather died 20 years ago. Uh, she used to travel a lot. and I mean, had been really right up till COVID. She loved to travel. So that was kind of one of her reasons for not getting one. But a few months into the pandemic, she finally thought enough was enough. So my mom was visiting her and they went and got a cat and she's so happy with her new little friend at home. So it's not too late for you either, I guess would be my advice to grandparents as well. That's a really cute story. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't wait yeah, to meet great. my new uncle cat. I can't visit her right now, but I'm excited about my new cat uncle. Hmm. Um, yeah, so the sort of, I guess, kind of the last question, second last question here. Um, so I've been started a few episodes back giving the guest uh, an opportunity to ask me something. A lot of guests have asked me kind of like why I started the show or what I hope to get out of it. So I've answered that one a bunch. So if you can think of something other than that you'd like to ask me, then um, go ahead if you want to. Um, what are you hoping that the impact of this show will be? Yeah, so uh, that one, thankfully, I've had a bit of practice on on answering. Um, essentially, like, because I basically started this uh, as like a frustrated, you know, kind of mid thirties person with all these different interests, and I, I was never able to find a job that scratched more than like one or two itches, and so I always came out of work feeling like, you know, just unfulfilled, and like I I need to do more, I need to do this and this and this, and like these cultural narratives of like, oh, I, you know, it's too late for me because I'm past 30 and I haven't figured it out. And mm -hmm. um, that like, I just couldn't find a job that I felt like was right for me. Uh, and I, you know, not, not for any fault of my own, not because I'm not qualified or anything. Um, and just like a lot of, uh, and the fact that I love learning and I, I've done a couple of projects in the past where I've interviewed people and kind of like 
I sort of after kind of leaving them behind both cases, I was like, you know, I really miss doing that. And so um, getting to interview people and kind of um, curate this, this insight and these perspectives and put it in a form that is accessible that hopefully other people like me or even younger people or anyone really, I hope that anyone can get something from this show. And um, even if there's one little tidbit per episode that, that each person can take away and um, feel maybe they get the, the perspective that they were missing to kind of know what they want to do. Like, Oh, that's what I'm going to do mm -hmm. next. Um, I think that's kind of, yeah, I just, I hope that everyone can get something out of this show. And, you know, my kind of frustration in my situation, and it's been echoed by a lot of the guests. And so I know there's a lot of other people out there like, like me and like us. And um, so I'm just, yeah, I'm trying to, it's, it's, I guess a little bit of a, um, uh, not a mutual aid thing, but it's like trying to pool the, the community's experience and, and insight and try to help out other people. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> yeah. great. Um, yeah. So uh, on that note, uh, are there any specific causes or charities that you would like to promote or raise awareness of? Sorry. I, <laughs> I had a list for this one and I totally spaced on it. <laughs> Uh, I might have to come back to you on that because there are ones that I like a lot and I, uh, I don't have the names in front of me. I apologize. That's fine. Uh, yeah, you can, you can send them to me after and I can put a thing up on the screen to, to kind of show sure. them. Um, I, so I guess in, in lieu of that, like obviously we, we support, uh, you know, indigenous, uh, rights, mm -hmm. and, uh, black lives matter. And, um, like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of like kind of regular stuff that the show stands behind yeah. and supports. So uh, in, in lieu of any specific individual, like I try to give each episode a chance to, to highlight something new. But in lieu of that, we'll just say, you know, again, Indigenous rights, um, trans, uh, LGBTQ rights, um, Black, Black, Black Lives Matter. Um, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the most recent place that I've donated to, there's you know there's a few I try to cycle through on every non rent payday, um, was Ruby's Place, which is housing for LGBTQ youth. So that's what they do. But there are some others that I would love to um, to drop as well. But I'll pass them to you after. Yeah, definitely. And I have a section on the, the website, the kind of very bottom that uh, lists the main ones that, that I promote on the show and then all the mm -hmm. ones that the guests have suggested. And, uh, you know, over time that list is going to grow and that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So with that said, um, now is the plug section. So I don't know if you have any uh, social media presence that you're comfortable uh, sharing for people to kind of follow you or check you out. Um, if so, you can share or if there's anything else that you want to plug, um, feel free. Uh, nothing to plug in terms of events. I do have, um, I used to be very active on Twitter and then I stepped away from it and I've been trying to make a headway again. So I do have a Twitter that's ostensibly jokes, but, uh, your mileage may vary as to whether you think they're jokes. Uh, so it's at Julianne Morg, uh, <laughs> on Twitter. And yeah, you might you might find me being funny there. You might find me being unfunny there. But again, that's, that's up to you. That's not up to me. I always appreciate good pun usernames on social mm -hmm. media. There's so many good ones. <laughs> um, yeah. And so with that said, oh, actually, I can see. I almost forgot to do my own plugs. This has happened before. Oh, yes. Please type yourself up. <laughs> I get so like caught up in, in the moment and like, I forget. Cause I was just like, Oh, do the hats thing now. Cause that's what I'm really excited about. But, 
Um, so yeah, as, as the, the regular audience knows at this point, I do a lot of stuff. Uh, if you go to artemiscreates.com, you can see everything that I do there. But some specific things that I like to plug are my merch site, which is all original designs that I've made that you can get on shirts and mugs and all that kind of stuff. And that is redbubble.com slash people slash artemiscreates. Um, and then you can check out my um, series of educational ebooks that I have curated over the last five years. It's called the Curiosity Guides series. Uh, if you go to curiosityguidesplural.com, not, not plural in the thing, but curiosityguidesplural, <laughs> the word guides is plural.com. Yeah. Uh, it'll be on the screen and everything. Um, and they're all for free. They're all PDFs. So you can go on any of them that, that interest you. You can download them, check them out, share them. Um, and they're always going to be free because I do feel that knowledge should be free. And of course, there's also some like probably copyrighted material in some of them. So, mm. um, and yeah, by the time this comes out, my book should be out. Um, mm. I'm just finishing it up right now, actually, today. It's a short fiction novella. It's like a kind of like a detective novel kind of thing. It is called Parker and Tucker Private Investigators. Uh, and that will be available as uh, a uh, a digital, I guess, an ebook. Um, and got to figure out how to get all that publishing stuff uh, set up. But um, the book is essentially done. So um, there's that. I have music on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp under Artemis Creates. Uh, the theme song for this show is by me. It's called The Bronze Age. You can find it on there if you like what you hear at the beginning and end of the show. <laughs> And of course, Patreon, because that's where we I do the uh, bonus episodes, which we'll be doing momentarily. And that's patreon.com slash Artemis Creates. And that's, uh, that's pretty much my whole spiel. There's more on my website, but those are the main things that I promote right now. Um, so with that said, um, if you are ready, we will do the traditional hat sign-off. All right. <laughs> my problem is that my hat is slightly too small for my gigantic head. So <laughs> I know that problem. All I think too I well. actually have to take my glasses off to be able to <laughs> fit it on without pain. This should have been my pandemic project would have been stretching this out a little more, but um, anyway. So sometimes I get lucky and my hats actually fit on top of my headphones without <laughs> like falling off and this one's doing it. So I'm like, awesome. Nice. So for the people who are listening and not watching, I like to try to remember to describe what's going on. So Laura is wearing, I'm not sure what that style of hat is called. It's like this is kind of just the, the, uh, the, the standard uh, goth basic floppy brim wool hat. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned, slightly too small for my head. So I should just be wearing this around the house every day until I can stretch this part, but. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, I am wearing uh, kind of like a, I guess like a feminine style fedora almost. It's got, uh, it's like a, um, like a royal purple, like a really deep purple. And it's got the kind of the slightly longer bill, but it's curved up at the back and there is a flower on it. Mm, yeah. It's a, a femdora. <laughs> yes, I get it. A femdora. Oh, I like that. I've never heard that before. Um, but this is one of the first hats I think I got when I was kind of going through the process of like replacing my whole wardrobe when I transitioned. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of has a, even though I like more lighter purple colors, I this has a special place in my heart. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> so um, yeah, thank you for indulging me in that. Uh, I love this little tradition we've got and, and the different hats that we get to see. And uh, with that said, uh, thank you again for watching and listening to my, my viewers and my listeners. And uh, until next week, uh, you know, the next episode was someone totally new and all new insights. And in the meantime, if you want to 
you know, do the, if you want to tune in for the bonus and hear Laura answer a few more fun questions, head over to patreon.com slash Artemis Creates. And yeah, thanks, thanks again for listening. <laughs>